Cinder Boys to Cinnamon episode 32. 32. 32. Oh. Uh, hope you're well, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Uh, this week, The Old Oak. Yes. Ye Old Oak. Kenneth Loach. Kenneth Loach. Ken Loach's uh, recent and possibly final movie. Yeah, he has um, said it's his swan song. So yeah, yeah he's, he's bowing out at mm. the ripe old age of eighty-seven, which is I didn't realise he was that old. That's that's crazy. Which is silly, really, considering he's been sort of making films since the mid-sixties. That would make sense. Yeah, but, um, yeah. So yeah, we're going to be talking about that in great depth and detail. Of course, we'll be then discussing a few of his other films and indeed the uh, English social realism genre as a whole. Mm. We've cherry picked a couple of examples. It's worth noting that when considering the genre, there's going to be a few glaring omissions, but, you know, mm, yeah. brevity and such. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you won't hear us talking about uh, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. Uh, no. Just because there's not enough time. No. Uh, otherwise, we would. Maybe we'll do it for our patrons. Uh, <laughs> the most pivotal moment in, in English social realism. Oh, yeah. For our Patreon supporters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Film? Movie. Mm. Questing the cinematic. So before we get nice and deep into Ken, <laughs> I guess it's worth uh, considering uh, English social realism as a whole, mm. or as you know, with as much time as the sort of um, time a lot for this podcast allows. It's existed perhaps as its own genre uh, from the mid '60s, but before then, it was you know preceded by lots of you know socially conscious narratives. Uh, in the sort of 40s and 50s. Okay, yeah. Um, one of my examples of which we'll, we'll, we're going to talk about in, in relation to English social realism, the sort of central thrust of it is this sort of exploration of working-class English life and uh, the class divides that that have dog, <laughs> dogged and continue to dog modern Britain. Yeah. Okay. I was just thinking, did that film Saturday night and Sunday morning, was that... The fifties is that would that could that be seen as a kind of a film preceding? Yeah, I think it would be seen as like an essential sort of foundational building block of the genre. Yeah, weirdly, it's weird that you say that because it's one of the ones the main sort of main important ones I haven't seen. Oh really? Okay, uh, I have actually seen that. That's strange. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. I um, ordered it on Blu-ray like last week, hoping to have seen it before, oh, okay. and it just hasn't arrived. Oh, so man. It is I've good. tried, yeah. but um, yeah, no, I've I've heard only ever good things about it, and it's obviously a very pivotal moment for the history of British cinema, yeah, generally. Yeah. Mm. But I guess, like you know, for me, when I think about English social realism, it's a genre that I didn't really give the time of day until my sort of mid to late twenties, and I, th- I think. During added sort of planning and preparation, preparational discussions that we have before we start, it was kind of similar for you, right? Yeah. So I, I did a module at university with uh, good old Mark, and um, it was that the module was effectively Brit- British social realism. However, I found myself not really getting on with the films that were screened as much as I'd hoped. So my attention was never really that my head, my head was never really turned by it that much um which is a shame because we did get screened some good films including Saturday night and Sunday morning actually oh, okay that's what um, you saw that's it right, why okay. i've watched it yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that one i did really like uh but it, i i don't think as a sort of uh, an 18 year old i don't think i really got it um i, I think the, where i grew up didn't help maybe uh, it was the southeast of england obviously that i i'd be hard pressed to think of a film apart from maybe like a film set 
in the suburbs of London, which is not where I grew up, like that would be considered a British social realism or English social realism film. Right, okay. It's not like any set in Eastbourne, for example, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, no, you're right. I don't really have... Uh, my my interest in it has largely been quite relatively recent. Yeah, I think for me it's 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 a genre that... I don't know, because I was thinking about this in the context of, you know, you know really getting into movies as, when I was younger and obviously getting older and watching different kinds of films from different cultures. And, and I think, you know, I was never afraid of the idea of watching films that explore similar themes in other countries. Yeah, right, sure. Um, but I, there was something about this social realist English thing that really didn't jibe with me for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, I mean, you know living on council estates and stuff like that i i don't know if maybe part of that not that you know my life is off is in any way comparable to a lot of the narratives in these films but the setting setting is, is familiar similar. yeah enough some mm. of the characters might be familiar enough that you sort of might meet in passing or people that are like like parent like your sort of parents friends or right your mates yeah. parents friends you know or okay, yeah you know so i think it has a lot to do with that i think it's maybe a bit a bit too close uh, just in terms of like familiar, you know, right, not necessarily yeah. closest in terms of experience, but in terms of like it just feeling like, you know, you sort of know it by living around it and in and around it. Yeah, and okay. I think that's the case for a lot of people. I remember having that discussion with a few people in our course back at uni, mm. and they sort of all said similar things. Like no matter yeah. where they came from, they all sort of felt that it there was something a bit too sort of familiar or. Just so I think that's probably home. what it is. Oh yeah, no, I agree. I think like why would you? You're not going to be clambering to see a film based on, you know, a real a realist film as well. So not even a film with any kind of visual flair or frills, which isn't really what the genre is about. No, you wouldn't be clambering to see it because you, like you say, you just live it. Um, yeah, you're totally right. <laughs> yeah, and I guess as well that age film. You know, I remember there being a really distinct moment for me when studying film where I realised, you know, how so widely varied cinema can be in the intention and the impact when I watch 400 Blows oh, right, which weirdly yeah. would twin well with our discussion about English social realism yeah completely you know, yeah um, something something like Cinema Paradiso as well yeah, that, kind of, yeah. that kind of vibe however having it set in your own country is yeah, a bit strange yeah, yeah. <laughs> but realising that and thinking, fucking hell, yeah, films aren't just about like entertainment and ninjas and gunfights and gangsters <laughs> yeah. and dinosaurs you know it can be yeah. I don't know which is probably it's quite embarrassing to to sort of acknowledge that so late in my film watching life, but I know um, I feel the same way about like photography and paintings and stuff. Like it's only in the last five years or so that, uh, for example, like a a photograph of like an old mining town and the people that work there that would fascinate me. Maybe five years ago it probably wouldn't have so much. Yeah, it's maybe just, just you, know. you know your your appreciation for things like that grows as you get older. Maybe mm, yeah, yeah, completely. But you're right, I want to sort of tap into that thing about what you're saying about the sort of no-frills approach to English social realism. You know, it is very much about sort of framing the sort of everyday struggles and difficulties of, of English, you know, working class or indeed lower class life mm. in a way that is completely devoid of, as you said, flair. yeah. And I think that is probably another reason for that, what we've just talked about. Mm. But it's so important to this particular movement of cinema that it's like that isn't it oh completely yeah it would literally be categorized as something else had it you know 
even if there's like a lot of flashbacks or something, that would be that. It wouldn't be part of belong to that genre anymore. I don't think. Yeah, it has to be very linear, very. I think grey is the wrong word, but very. Um, things tend to go from bad to worse in their in their narratives, or even even if there is something redemptive, it doesn't. It, the, the redemption in this narrative doesn't overwhelm the fact that it's going to be. It's clear that it's going to be a while before any of these characters see any real hope or light. Um, as is the case with Old Oak, I, I think, anyway. Um, although there is a redemptive side to that film, which I will kind of build on later. But, uh, yeah, in general, it they're, they're tough watches because they, they are very frank about uh, working-class life, day-to-day life, day-to-day struggle and existence. And and that's just... that That's the intention. It's not, it's, it's not like cinema of... You know, it's not cinema of cruelty or anything. It's not. It doesn't ever stray into that kind of torturous vibe, but it does walk that line a little bit, I suppose. Yeah, I think you know the idea of there being no no thrills and no flair in terms of technique and approach, sort of cinematically speaking, works on a thematic and narrative level as well. It would do the ideas of these films a disservice. You mm, know? Yeah, it's about you know people struggling to deal with life in an economic system that for them is completely unfair mm, yeah yeah and they are you know having to try and navigate a life often around other people that are living very much a, a sort of similar life and feeling you know similar things yeah yeah so the idea that, that you know there would be this sort of fanciful moment of escapism for example would do these films a disservice because yeah. there is a, obviously a political message mm, yeah that is you know supposed to rouse its viewer you know into sort <laughs> of you know, challenging the sort of economic doctrines and systems that exist that have created these situations for these people in the first place. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I think there's a very sort of conscious political, you know, I mean, it's very obvious to say that, but, you know, it's, oh, yeah, it's no. very consciously present in most social realist films. It's interesting you talk about this lack of flair because I saw a film recently, uh, Scrapper. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, which was, you know, obviously clearly indebted to a lot of classic kitchen sink social realist films right yeah it had a real sort of artistic flair to it oh really okay yeah yeah yeah. it had like a lot of like really stylized cinematography and like really sort of quick cut editing sort of sequences that almost felt like a almost like a a music video at points oh really and then there were like sequences where like I think the director's intention was to sort of to sort of replicate how a child superimposes the way in which they deal with difficult things onto their environment Okay. So it's like you know the, the kid had a f- spiders that lived in the house, and she'd named all the spiders. And there was like little scenes where like the spiders were talking and stuff. It was <laughs> really, really straight. Yeah, oh, wow. yeah. Like okay. I mean, I did sort of you know <laughs> expect to mention this film, but I found that sort of a bit incongruent, and it bothered me a little bit. Okay. I, I, until I heard an interview with the director, whose name escapes me. I'm, that's really bad of me, but she was saying that, um, you know, she didn't want her films to necessarily wallow. In that sort of in the mire, the mire yeah, of social yeah. realism, which I thought was quite an interesting take. Um, I could, think she yeah. acknowledges it, and there's quite a few moments in the film that are definitely very social realist, and sort of the, the rawness of the performances, and the sort of you know this commitment to characters that are just as capable of fucking up as the next, the rest of us. You yeah, know? So there's yeah. elements of it. I've seen it in a few films that that you know of this ilk that they're you know using social realism as a foundation but breaking off and okay. making their own 
You could argue Trainspotting did something a bit like that, maybe. Yeah, that's true. It's very kind of almost the way it's cut is very MTV. Um, the music as well. Oh, of course, the soundtrack kind yep. of makes it more eclectic. Bop, right. Yeah, yeah. And also, you could you could maybe argue something like uh, something like Gregory's Girl. Have you seen that? No. There's a. I think it was a double feature with Kez. You know. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Gregory's Girl is like. Oh shit! Uh, I know nothing about that. It's just a really. Oh, sorry. It's it's just like a really sweet. Uh, sort of school romance story mm. but set uh, in a very kind of social realist backdrop but because like you say it's told from the eyes of in this case it's like a 16 year old boy mm. quite an awkward fella um, he uh, yeah it, it adds a layer of charm this childlike charm but right. the, like you say the foundation is very social realism esque yeah. sphere no, esque. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd check it out. It's really good. Really sweet little movie. Yeah, I think it, it's interesting we talk about this idea of like films pulling away from that sort of stark, almost sort of like deliberately sort of flat cinematography mm. and, and the way it sort of captures sort of the interior spaces of council flats typically or council estates. Yeah. Uh, there's this sort of real departure from that that is happening. And it's interesting to talk about in the context of Ken Loach because yeah. I think his certainly his three newer films which are part of this trilogy this concluding trilogy as we've said possibly his last film yeah yeah uh, with uh, with the old oak but i feel like these films stray a little bit further away from social realism than certainly his older work does i think there's something mm. a lot more not melodramatic but there is a certain element of drama that i think he's injecting into his films that he perhaps didn't do in his early work yeah sort yeah. of you know and I'm not just saying like his work in the 60s. I even feel like some of his stuff in the 90s was felt a lot more restrained in terms of the drama. Yeah, Carla's um, song is um, yeah, 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 and even like example. Raining Stones, which has some like overtly comedic moments in it, it still sort of felt grounded mm. in the sort of social realist um, trappings. I guess, yeah, yeah, for lack of a better word, it's probably the right word. But. <laughs> and I feel like his newer films seem to feel a little bit more dramatic. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm thinking about that scene in I, Daniel Blake, when he goes out and starts spray-painting the wall. Yeah. That's not necessarily something you see every day, is no. it? <laughs> no, that's true. I mean, well, you, you could argue Kez has the childlike thing as well with the kestrel, mm. um, you know. But that is very much rooted in... I mean, it's not a nice ending, is it? Spoilers for Kez. Um, yeah. <laughs> don't don't bet... You know, if you, someone tells you to bet on some horses, bet on those horses. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but uh, you're right. It is, there is definitely, like, flourishes of... Certainly narratively, uh, of, of more con- conventional, I guess, plot points. Yeah. Uh, certainly in I, Daniel Blake, the bit where he... I mean, that's in the on the poster, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Literally, that's why it's called I, Daniel Blake, mm-hmm. I suppose, is because he, he, there's a moment of where he's so fed up with everything that... There's always a moment of catharsis. Yeah, 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 which which is unusual for a film that, you know, rooted in those genre trappings. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Mm. So, I think the way we want to structure the discussion this week is usually we would talk about the director's films before we talk about the film in question, but I think... It'd be, we're going to try sort of weaving in a few of his films as we talk about Old Oak a bit later on. So yeah, let's talk about some of our favourite or maybe some, you know, not necessarily favourite examples of English social realism, but films that we feel are worth yeah. talking about on this um, much lauded Worthy podcast. of our prestigious attention. Yes, that's, <laughs> yeah, there we go. Much better. Nice. Uh, do you want to shoot first? Or yeah, I can go? shoot first. Yeah. So I was going to start with a film called Broom at the Top. Okay. 
So yeah, it's a film directed 1959 by Jack Clayton. It stars uh, Lee Harvey of Manchurian Candidate fame. Not Lee Harvey Oswald. No, God no. Noted assassin. Yeah, noted assassin. <laughs> plus actor of English social realist <laughs> yeah, or yeah. early kitchen sink dramas. Um, and, you know, the reason I sort of wanted to talk about it is, is because it's sort of often spoken about as one of the first films to really adopt a lot of these sort of things that we sort of now consider to be, you know, English social realist. I'm not going to say that with absolute certainty because... Uh, my research isn't as watertight <laughs> as usual. Um, this is coming from the same podcast as what the Korean and Vietnam War mixed up. Oh, so, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, you know it's, it's a film that explores the class divide in a, a small Yorkshire town. No, okay. So it's set in Yorkshire, yep. which I, don't, I can't think of many films of that era that are, really. Not in the fifties. No, no. I mean, again, this is something that probably loads, but to you my sh- to yeah. my knowledge, there's not a lot. Like I'd struggle to. I can think of a few off the top of my head, but it's only because I tried to write one once, <laughs> and there's only three or four in my head that I can think of. But there we go. So yeah, Lee Harvey uh, plays a sort of a drifter. He comes to comes to a new town, and he is basically someone that he wants to climb the social ladder and quick. Right. right okay. okay. Yeah. So. The way he does this, he's very good at his job. I think he works in like an accounting department of some factory. But he knows that no matter how good he is at his job, he is never going to sort of achieve the aspiration that he has of being high up. You know, I'm talking about like creme de la creme, business owners, landowned aristocracy, that sort of thing. Yeah, right, okay. So alongside working this new job in this new factory, he basically tries to... He basically targets that... the uh, daughter of a rich family. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and just basically begins this campaign of trying to get this woman to endear herself to him. Yeah. And Lee Harvey has the looks and the charm, even yep. if a lot of the charm is manufactured for his goals. Mm. But he is someone that, what well, he lacks in status or money, he, he sort of, he makes up for, I guess, in his own mind with the things that, you know, looks, etc. we mentioned before. Yeah, yeah. So as he sort of tries to win this girl's favour, the family of this girl become more and more aware of that and there's a lot more sort of vitriol shot towards this chap. Yeah. There's a love rival who's someone, again, that comes from that, that stock. So okay. it's, of course, the preferred <laughs> option for the daughter. <clears throat> and uh, and obviously this is like post-war Britain, so obviously the shadow of World War Two is looming. A lot of people still ask questions about where they served, you know. Yeah. And he, this guy is like a higher rank than him in the military and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> okay. And Lee Harvey's character is fueled by this bitter resentment towards the elite, towards the established order. Yeah. And okay. yet he simultaneously wants to be part of it. Uh, and it talks about this idea. I mean, there are many interesting themes in the film, but I think one of the first ones to know is this idea of aspiration. Yeah. You know, the economic system we live in is built on this idea of aspiration. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of that is hidden amongst resentment, particularly from lower classes and the people who work in these factories that make these people so rich, you know? Uh, they all, like, you know, through through the strength of community and togetherness, they sort of espouse a hatred for the elite, the hatred for their way of life, but all secretly probably wouldn't mind a bit of that themselves. Yeah, you know? okay. And yeah. there's a sadness to that, like there a real is. hollowness throughout the film that sort of permeates and grows in intensity as the film yeah. goes on and on. I suppose there's a sort of naivety as to it as well, and in that, in that they don't people 
aren't going to fully understand just how corruptible money can make people. Mm. So they they're going to be thinking, oh, if I was that wealthy, I'd do it all differently. And then, uh, unfortunately, I'm guessing maybe a theme. I haven't seen it, but the, the, maybe a theme in the film is that actually that might not be the case at all. It's just born out of naivety a bit. Yeah, I think there's this sort of understanding that you know that that it's a really it's really difficult to attain. Right. Yeah. Um, and yet there is like you know the so the the father of this of the daughter the, he he he's a sort of the archetypal sort of champion of capitalism in the sense that he rose from nothing rags to riches sort of story. Okay. This yeah. is the sort of story that you know all these capitalists will bang to the high heavens about you know yeah. they all say work hard and you will be this guy yeah. you know you will achieve the success okay. and this character will frequently mentions and makes allusions to this past of his and whilst that probably makes him a little bit softer and a little bit less um you know prepared to shoot lee harvey's character down so readily mm. it's clear that this life of opulence has impacted him as an individual and he's forgotten his roots okay so how could you not you yeah know, yeah yeah and I think you're right about the way that you know, money corrupts people, yeah. not just those that have it, but those that desire it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, like There's completely. a corruption there. Yeah. But um, so initially, Feliz Harvey's character, despite the sort of the young, the young uh, daughter showing a bit of affection towards him, it seems impossible. Mm. And he ends up uh, meeting a, a woman called Alice Asgill, who's a bit older than him. And it's played brilliantly by Simone Sig- Sig- <laughs> Signore. Signore great actress in her own right sorry about the name um and she's a, a french lady who's in an unhappy marriage with an unfaithful yet possessive man of moderate wealth in the community okay okay and as he sort of like struggles with his sort of resentments and this this starts to sort of come to terms with this idea that this plan isn't going to work he falls in love with this woman uh, okay and they forge a genuine connection yeah you know there's attraction obviously but there's a genuine connection between yeah them. ah however as the film goes on, he then has to decide between pursuing this life that he's, you know, coveted despite his resentment and bitterness, yeah, or a genuine connection with this woman. Oh. And as the film goes on, the opportunity presents itself to get with this younger woman. Right. I don't want to sort of spoil it too much because I, you know, I want you to see it. You've um, set it up there. Like, I really want to watch. I want to know what find what, um, what happens now. That's really interesting. But it's really it's it's interesting because not only is it about this idea, of obviously, like the sort of quiet desires of the of the working class and the poor that is shrouded in their resentment, mm. and as you say, the sort of intoxicating allure of wealth. Yeah, it's also about the sort of how the business class, the ruling class, behave and how they strengthen and consolidate their power, societally speaking. Right. So yeah. there's something sort of quite medieval about it. You know, we, when we talk about like how kings would like sort of sell off, basically sell off their offspring to sort of broker alliances and strengthen yes. their own hold on the, the throne. Right. Yeah. It's very similar. Like the ruling elite will like use their daughter to sort of marry someone of good stock to strengthen their position because they're getting like you know family mm. ties to a, someone who perhaps is richer or to like help sort of like ease a business merger or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So there's something really sort of dehumanizing about that process. Mm. Not only is it dehumanizing if you're at the bottom of the ladder in a fucking tiny house working like ungodly amount of hours in a factory every day yeah you know it's also dehumanizing to be like the offspring of these people particularly women um because you are basically an asset that can be used to strengthen your position yeah 
So there's a lot of that going on. And there's a real starkness to the film. The film isn't particularly flashy in its cinematography. It's black and white, of course. There's a lot of like tight interior spaces and the exteriors are sort of, they're not sort of majestic sweeping shots. It's all very functional cinematography. Yeah, okay. And you really get the sense it's that sort of laying the, the sort of foundational building blocks for this genre. Mm. I just felt it was really worth talking about because it's a film I've, I'd, I'd only seen very recently, but it's something I'd seen a lot about. Yeah. And I was really into Lee Harvey for a while after watching The Manchurian Candidate. Right, okay. Which for a while I really, really loved. And I rewatched it and wasn't as keen, but I still liked it. <laughs> but... Yeah, Lee Harvey's absolutely magnetic in that film. Yeah. And it's really brilliant here as well. Okay. So it's worth a go. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. I um it's funny, Jack Clayton, I think he directed something called Have you seen The Innocence? No. But that, I know that's one of his yeah. Oh, that's really good, that. He's a fantastic director. And actually funny The Innocence has quite a lot of flashy stuff in it. Like quite a lot of okay. uh camera trickery to kind of portray these sort of ghostly figures. It's for it's an adaptation of Turn of the Screw, which has been adapted a lot. But it's okay. a really great story and a really great adaptation. Mm. Um I, as soon as you mentioned his name, I was like, Jack, I recognise that. Yeah. It's that's that's another one to not really social realist, <laughs> but um very good nonetheless. It shows a, a sense of adaptability though, right? As a, I as think a yeah, maker, completely. Really fascinating. Judging from himself. what you said just then, like yeah, he, he definitely I mean, yeah, he sounds like he's quite a dynamic filmmaker. Yeah. Oh yeah. cool. Um, what you got for me, baby? Right. Uh let me just grab my notes. <laughs> handwritten again yeah yeah um uh so i i wanted to talk about fish tank which i feel like we might have mentioned before we have very briefly yeah because we we went on to andrea arnold for some reason earlier on she's one of the directors for the deep dive isn't she? yeah yeah which yeah. would be fascinating to talk about mm. so I'll, I'll keep this short for that Did reason we see this film together Fish tank. Uh, Q&A with andrea arnold uh i did not go to that q a and i fuck he didn't i regret it Oh, I man. really regret not going um, because I think the film's wicked and yeah, I really great, like Andrew Arnold and yeah. I'm an idiot for not going to that Q&A because everyone at uni always talks about it to this day. Um, <laughs> and now, sorry. Yeah, no, 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 it's fine. It must have been fantastic. Um, yeah, so Fish Tank, uh, effectively, it's a, it's a relatively simple story, not unlike the story you, um, you just mentioned, just it, in terms of that aspirational vibe it's mm. got going for it. It's... Um, uh, so it's Mia. She's a 15-year-old who lives uh, on a kind of southeast, or it's sort of. I think it's like an East London council estate. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she has aspirations to be a dancer. Um, and she, it's about her navigating her day-to-day existence with this kind of dream that she holds quite clearly holds quite dear to her. Yeah, uh, but the environment that she's in is it makes it very difficult to express that dream to her family and to those around her because they're all you know they're all too busy you know battling addiction problems or just trying to get on with their lives and as best they can in the situation exactly yeah yeah. yeah. and she's got this kind of thing that she really wants to do uh but it's just totally it it can only be nurtured by her Mm. um and her mum gets a new fella uh, played by Michael Fassbender. This is early, early Fassbender. It is, yeah. Him, 2009. him sort of rising up, isn't it? Yeah. Same year as Inglorious Bastards, weirdly. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. Strangely. Oh, strange. yeah. yeah. But so this is when he, before he kind of uh, got into the into the mainstream stream. Uh, <laughs> but, 
and so there's a, there's a scene which I only considered recently to be quite sort of heartbreaking in that, that she performs a dance for him to California Dreaming, uh, you know, which has its own... It's like against the blue wall. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's like, it's quite a... I mean, the, the song choice is quite overt in that yeah. she wants to become this sort of big, famous dancer. And he takes it as a an opportunity to start sleeping with her <laughs> yeah and it yeah. all gets a bit blurred and she obviously she's really weirdly very grateful for the attention she sort of uh reciprocates his advances based on the fact that she's just performed this dance for him and that he really liked it but actually you know obviously all he's all he all he's actually doing is try and have sex with an under he's underage grooming. girl he's yeah, horrible yeah. yeah horrible guy um, and it's just about that and her kind of finding out, finding herself, finding out just, you know, how difficult it can be to to sort of pursue a dream in that environment uh, along with a very complicated affair she starts having. And it's just, re- it's really good, really nice. Um, there's a sort of spark of hope in her character. You get the feeling like, like one day she might make something of herself, which is, again, sort of unusual for a social realist film. Uh, but it's a really captivating story, and it's got a. I won't give too much away, but it's got like a reasonably hopeful ending. Uh, mm, I don't know if you remember. I can't remember the ending at all. You know, it's a. It's just a Spoilers. shot of a balloon flying away. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Again, quite an overt visual metaphor, but it works in this yeah, context. Yeah, I think. yeah, um, yeah. Really great film. I'd. Uh, I would always recommend Fish Tank to anyone. Cause, mm. uh, ah. Anyone over fifteen, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, I really love the movie. Um, it's interesting. We were during the Q and A. Sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, she was talking about the casting process, and I think it was before she started. Uh, yeah, it would have, obviously would have been American Honey. Oh right, yeah, yeah. And she was talking about the way she she casts people, and she was saying that um, she's all about like finding people with like you know just normal people or people that like you know with imperfection as. You know, kind of like this is England style. Yeah, like Thomas yeah. Turgo's got cast in the yeah exactly because he wasn't an actor, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. 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 She's non-actors, um, with I guess some sort of an, you know attachment to the sort of setting they work in. Yeah, the character obviously they're playing lives in, um, and you know yeah like I guess in stark contrast to a lot of the way sort of the film industry works and in casting people, it's not about previous credits or like having a look. You know, it's just about being not as normal as possible. Yeah, yeah. And I swear, I might be wrong with this, but she said that she saw this girl. I don't know if she'd had an audition or not. She so, ended up playing the lead. Yeah, yeah. And she saw her having an argument with her boyfriend on the other side of a train station. Yeah. And was like, that's the girl I want. I've heard this story. Yeah. I, I wasn't at the Q&A, but I have heard this. I think uh, that okay. is true. Yeah, yeah. That's fascinating. And um speaks volumes about her approach as a director in terms mm. of breathing that kind of realism into this into into the story yeah and also from the outset like such a smart way of doing it I mean, it can backfire if you get someone who can't act yeah, uh, yeah. as we'll just maybe <laughs> touch on a bit later on but um in this instance i think she had a few weeks of rehearsal and she got a chance to sort of spend some time with the director and develop a character katie jarvis i think oh yeah yeah she was in eastenders afterwards i think she's fallen fallen off the acting Fallen out of the acting world recently for various reasons, but um, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, it is that I've heard that story. I think that is actually mm. true. And it, it, you know, I, I find uh, it is a really interesting film for 
because again I feel like there's some slight departure in the sort of cinematic approach from social realism and the film does have a lot more moments that are overtly cinematic yeah yeah which but it doesn't detract from the the sort of setting of the film and the social realist credentials that that you know Andre Arnold is clearly sort of you know indebted to really yeah, as a filmmaker yeah. mm. Um, I, I think I mentioned this before, but her her short film The Wasp was on movie for a while, and I watched that. Oh, okay. Her, the one she won the Oscar for. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's a lot more social realist. Right, okay. Sort of camera, the way the camera sort of is almost like you know, the, the mum is like, and her kids are moving hastily through the estate. The camera's moving with them, you yeah, know, and it's yeah. already sort of almost feels like consciously jolty. But, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, so it's interesting to see a transition to sort of a bit more control with the camera and a lot more sort of like, you know, the term you can get flair. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Um, um, but yeah, a great filmmaker and a really great movie. Yeah. Um, and I really like what you were saying about the way in which like she has to nurture her own dreams. Yeah, it's quite sad. The, the scenes that that she does it because she she there's like a bit where she finds an advert for a, a like kind of a paid job as a dancer and obviously you know what it's actually going to be is it's, it's basically in a strip club yeah but she sees she kind of sees that as an opportunity and she is naive in the sense that any any as any 15 year old would be and she goes for that chance all on her own as well yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. which is you know it she's got a sort of spirit about her which is quite infectious uh, yeah it's yeah. lovely yeah it's interesting isn't it that that sort of that dream is so easily manipulated by you know by people outside of maybe maybe inside in the case of michael fassbender's character but outside mm. of it as well it's almost like yeah you know there are people waiting for people to have these dreams that they can sort of manipulate and distort until yeah. the person's doing this thing and it's so far removed from what they actually set out to do mm, yeah. but they just accept it on the basis of, of accepting their lot you yeah, know what i mean exactly yeah it's like God, one yeah. step closer and it is horrible and tragic but like that luckily i mean i can't say this for a lot of social realist films but the film has got a, a segment of hope at the end which i yeah. think is really needed as well because there's some quite tough scenes in that film um yeah well, what have you got fire shoot shoot uh, uh <laughs> mike lee secret and lies secrets and lies yes okay yeah. pulls that up um <laughs> again a film that is perhaps more anchored in in the elements of sort of family drama mm. but i think really sort of thematically shares a lot of social realist tropes i guess a lot more of this sort of identity of social realism mm. in within them uh it's, it's a film about a well-educated black woman who is an optometrist optometrist what works with eyes right she's she's optician no she's not an optician she's not optometrist oh, okay. uh, yeah something like that yeah <laughs> um and her mother that her adopted mother dies and she then then in sort of inspires her to find her birth mother yeah her adopt so her adopted mother is black yeah she's black she seeks out her birth mother and finds out that she's a white uh, lower class woman yeah. who works in a factory who has an estranged relationship with her, da- her, her daughter who lives with her and an estranged relationship with her brother played by Timothy Spall who's uh, magnificent uh, yeah, yeah, in this yeah. film I mean, he's he's a real, a very much a Mike Lee mainstay. He's, oh, yeah. he's wonderful in every film that I've seen him in with Mike Lee. But here he's particularly superb, and his wife as well. He has a, she has an estranged relationship with his wife. And why I think this film has these sort of social realist elements is because of how much the the racial and perhaps more class divides 
quietly gnaw away at the family dynamic. Okay, yeah. And you start to sort of understand and you start to realise that a lot of the sort of uh, growing canyons between different family members, of course, that you know they're aided by the secrets and lies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, uh, but it's also the sort of the class bitterness. You know, right, you yeah. know the 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 mum is very bitter about the wealth of her brother. Yeah, yeah. Her brother's a really nice bloke. Doesn't lord it over his family, mm. but his wife does. Okay, yeah. And <laughs> his wife is someone that's very much prim and proper. Uh, very much, you know, in her own sort of middle class, upper middle class bubble. Mm. And she finds interacting with that side of his family difficult on the basis that they can't, you know, she can't really relate to them. Yeah. On the basis of experience. So that's just one little inkling of like the sort of how, you know, these sort of class divides can just impact something as allegedly pure as the family, you know. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, Mike Lee himself in in the casting process or the sort of the process of, you know, helping the actors with their characters only told each actor their part of the story. Yeah, I've heard him doing... So he didn't tell the actors the overarching narrative. So when they hear the the revelations that reveal in the film... Yeah, okay. The actors are seeing it for the first time. And it's honestly one of the best acted films I think I've ever seen. There are some moments in in the film that are just unbelievable. Yeah. You know, it's like... And again, it's this sort of so many films strive for realism but don't achieve it. Yeah. Whereas Mike Lee's careful direction and the way in which he almost manipulates his actors so much so that they almost be- become these characters more. Yeah. And as the mother, you know, meets um, this lady and they start to forge a relationship, that obviously starts to expose a lot more of these sort of these these divisions and the lies and secrets that you know prevent these divisions from ever going away yeah um and it all comes to a head with one of the most cathartic well well, actually unbelievably tense and subsequently cathartic dinner sequences ever committed to film (laughs) i remember that scene yeah (laughs) and timothy spall just has a fucking blowout and loses his mind (laughs) yeah and it kind of ends in quite a nice way because the family realize this sort of you know how you know how dangerous it is for not just sort of like their their ability to connect with each other, but their sort of individual happiness is to keep these things from each other. Yeah. And how pointless it is to allow things like, you know, money and status to almost provide the foundation for these divisions. Okay, yeah. So it, it does end perhaps, I mean, there's a lot of sort of residual, you, know, you never quite work out how the mum had a, a black child yeah, okay. but it's sort of implied through ways that aren't very nice um, yeah of course you know, so there's a lot of stuff that doesn't get resolved but I think the central thrust of the narrative is sort of resolved by Timothy Spall who's almost like this guardian angel for the family you know <laughs> this really nice bloke that ne- never wants to never puts a foot wrong and if he you know and eventually he just can't he can't hide it anymore yeah and it, yeah. it made me think about family life in general and how like divisions between certain family members can happen and how easy it can happen yeah. just by the the lack of talking to one another like silence between each other can be so destructive yeah yeah you know? yeah i always think that inaction is we're all guilty of it but inaction can quite often be just as bad as action right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um it's it's just a not not of that scene isn't pleasant but it does 
it does mean something for that reason I think mm, yeah 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 that's great but it's just that thing like there's that scene where they all go around to the house and before the meal the the sort of the wife Timothy Spall's wife is sort of showing them around the house right yeah and it's like yeah, it's so awkward because she's talking about all the decorations she's done it's almost like she's had a blank check to decorate this house and it's such yeah. in stark contrast to the mum's house who's like their old family home that's falling apart mm. to the point where it's like unhealthy and dangerous to live in certain rooms yep um <laughs> And, you know, you've got that in your back of your mind the whole time and you sort of feel really sort of sorry for the mum on the basis yeah. of that she's basically just being shown something that she will never have. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, I feel like this sort of divide is... It, 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 it's so grounded mm. by putting it in, in the sort of... In, uh, the grounds of, of sort of familial dysfunctionality. It grounds it in a way that I think so so few social realist films actually achieve that level of sort of like thematic penetration <laughs> but do you know what i mean yeah like, completely you know, yeah like- it, i think it all goes it all boils down to the fact that films like it or not are a constructed reality right yes yeah. and obviously british and english social realism is striving towards like masking that construction as much as possible and Mike Lee does yeah. such a good job of it oh god yeah because of his process it's so unique I've heard I heard this quite a lot about him him and the way he works with his actors like a lot a lot a lot of rehearsal but like one to one rehearsal yeah. apparently yeah, so yeah. like you say he spends ages talking about the backstory and like you know what what you do in the scene this is what you're going to do in this scene and then you stop talking and from there on we'll see what happens and you just have to react from there it's yeah. so, so fascinating and I think other people have tried to replicate that and haven't really worked it hasn't really worked but there's something logistical about the way Mike Lee does it he just pulls it off and it's yeah, really great um, yeah I think if you see it in a lot of his movies there's a there's an attention to detail that is very considered and it feels like they're all products of this mutual process of creation between the actor and the director the director has an idea but in in not in obscuring information from the actors, he's allowing the actors to imprint more of themselves and the characters, yeah, inhabit yeah. the space of those characters more. So you know, in that dinner scene in in Secrets and Lies, you know, you are seeing the revelations genuinely impact actors who have a vested interest in these characters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, and sh- almost like the characters like sharing a part of that their actor's body yeah. in a way. I mean, that's obviously something that I'm sure an actor's probably said thousands of times about the roles they've played in, in in many different film types but I just feel like it really feels like the purest form of that yeah, in this yeah. particular film I just was consistently blown away by the performances in a way that I so rarely am in films yeah, yeah. and obviously you know most films that you watch in the cinema you know you, you're gonna obviously the suspension of disbelief and the quality of acting usually you don't really think that that you might think they're miscast or the script lets them down but nine does out of ten you think yeah they're doing a fairly serviceable enough job <laughs> yeah it's yeah. rare that someone's so fucking shit it pulls you out of the film yeah completely um so obviously there's a standard that you expect yeah as a film watcher but obviously there are plenty of films that you know that we've talked about in this podcast you know that we've you know waxed lyrical about performances <laughs> but I've never known a film quite like it oh, in regards no. to just wholesale acting across the board Brilliant. Um, it's just unbelievable nice yeah sorry I've gone off on one not at all mate no it's good I um, I need to revisit that film 
I think I will. Uh, I want to briefly mention, I haven't, I haven't seen this in a while, and I, the, a lot of the plot beats in it are a bit hazy in my mind, but I do need to mention uh, it's a film called The Selfish Giant. Okay, I've not um, seen this, so I'm intrigued. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't relay the entire plot because it's been a while, but I just remember there being some really striking imagery in it um, uh, from a sort of... It's set in Bradford, I think. Sort of suburban Bradford. Okay. I've never seen so many pylons in one film. <laughs> so many pylons in it. But strangely, so <laughs> I always think pylons are quite nice and easy to shoot because they're like a vertical thing on a horizontal yeah. plane. Yeah. Um, and then... But there's... In, in The Selfish Giant, uh, there's... Uh, some of the film is concerned with uh, this boy's relationship with this horse. So he he kind of he's like he takes care of a horse a lot. Like it's a bit like Kez. It's got Kez vibes, except okay. it's not a kestrel. It's a slightly larger animal. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there's a lot of really striking imagery in this um, that concerns um, this kind of twisted metal structures and all this kind of crumbling buildings. And these boys are on, quite frequently on the hunt for scrap metal. Um, but he's taking care of this horse, and there's something like that the Lloyd's adverts don't do right that should, like, there's something magnificent about a horse, and something so kind of natural and mm. kind yeah. about the, the, and very British as well, I think. Um, yeah, there's something about the way the horse has sort of fused itself with humanity. Yeah. It's like a sort of like companion, servant. Yes, gentle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. In a way that I feel like Westerns ignore because they're just used as like vehicles in Westerns. Like, yeah, yeah, you know. But in the... (laughs) Bit of a tangent. Uh, (laughs) But no, yeah, just uh, worth a mention. Cleo Barnard, uh, there's another film of hers called Dark River, which is also very good. Uh, Another film set in Yorkshire as well. Yeah. but no, yeah, there's something um, there's something special about that. I would uh, I'd give it a go. I've got it on DVD. I think is it sort of like Kez in the sense that the presence of this animal lifts the central character from whatever sort of mire they're in in terms of their housing situation or the relationship with their family. Or... Yeah, a lot of the film is about his relationship with his mate. Actually, okay, they're going around, they're largely sort of self sufficient. They're not. Um, they do have family homes, but. There is kind of a down and out vibe about it, a classic that, that does get lifted by this boy's sort of reciprocated kindness that this horse shows mm. to him. And it's like, yeah, it's very nice, very good little, mm. very sweet film. Ventures slightly into almost sickly sweet at times, I would say. Okay, but it is grounded by quite a tragic story as well. Yeah, I I think it's funny. I. I didn't really consider this b- before now, but br- very briefly, I want to talk about films like you've seen, like Brassed Off, and like, obviously the Full Monty. And yeah, that. Oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I-, I think there's a definite relationship uh, with social realism, like very overtly in the Full Monty, but also with like Brassed Off, just in the sense that it's about like a um, a mining community. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. In the Thatcher years, right? Um, yeah. And although these films are largely kind of plot centric, whether that be because of a romance or because of like a kind of like the the full Monty being the kind of the male stripper angle, which is very um, you know fanciful and very kind of like a British comedy, you know, nineties yeah, Br- yeah. British comedy that yeah. that is separate from social realism. But the 
There are roots there, don't, don't you think? I completely agree. And I'm yeah. really glad you mentioned Full Monty because yeah. I bloody love that movie. And yeah. it's funny, like, the social consciousness in that film is it sort of bubbles underneath what is, what is essentially quite a light-hearted sort of English comedy. Yeah, yeah. But there's a real social consciousness to it. I mean, I always think about that scene. I think I mentioned this before, but the scene with the guy who's trying to kill himself in the car. Oh, yeah, gosh, and yeah. I, and that sort of played for laughs at a point, and it is, you know, it sort of succeeds in some way, but it does sort of reveal the the nature of the economic situation that Sheffield is in. Mm, you know, yeah, you consider yeah. Sheffield, you know, it was a, a metal industry. Yeah, yeah, steel. Yeah, steel yeah. And, and stripped of that, you know, mm. and, and left to rot, really. And Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's obviously going to have a huge impact on the population. If the, you know, populations are, are you know during the industrial revolution you know that's what brought people from the countryside to the cities yeah. was industry yeah yeah yeah. you strip the industry away <laughs> then you know the the what, what built that city what put it there in the first place is gone mm, yeah and i think you really feel the impact of that the shock waves going through as we've said you know a light-hearted comedy in many elements of its construction certainly narratively speaking yeah um but you really feel that in the characters and yeah. the pain, I think, mm. underneath the comedy. Yeah. And it, it's funny, every time I watch that film, I become more aware of the pain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah And yeah. I watched it fairly recently. I'd always sort of written it off as a sort of fairly naff 90s film that, like, your mum would watch. <laughs> yeah, um, it's got it's got that which, label of it. You know, which is... I'm so glad I realised how wrong I was because I just an excellent film. It and, is very good, yeah. And it's a film that I could... I think it's one of those films that, you know, you could watch, like, two or three times a year. You sort yeah. of have to. Yeah, know, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love that film as well. Yeah. I think it's but no, great. I think it's worth bringing up in the context of social realism in the sense that, you know, social realism, obviously, it isn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. But, you know, it, 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 it's lent itself to many other films that, you know, want to do many other things. Mm, yeah. Um, but it gives those films a political and social consciousness that yeah, uh, I think gives makes Full Monty so great. Oh man, yeah. Same with Brassed Off as well. Have you seen that one? Yeah, my memory isn't as good on that one. Yeah, I mean, it's a similar-ish vibe to the Full Monty. I think it came out afterwards, and I think it might have been piggybacking off of its success a little bit. Well, that's film for you, isn't it? That's, yeah, that's the industry. yeah, exactly. But um, well, there's some charming moments um, in that as well, and that's got a very uh, socially conscious side to it, which is completely, again, aped from the the social realism genre. <laughs> genre. <laughs> Nice, yeah. old oak. Yes, um, I think we the good place to start would be picking up from our outro in the last episode, mm. where we voiced concerns regarding the trailer being overtly theatrical and the presentation of themes, yeah. which is not only sort of in opposition with the way in which Loach works, but yeah. social realism works. Yep. Um, Upon watching the film, what are your thoughts regarding that? Did it uh, did they feel reinforced or or yeah. not? Yeah, they do. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Okay. I I was mainly I don't know if it was looking out for it, but I was really surprised by just how unsubtle and over all of the all of the dialogue was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not all of it. Some of it works. I'll I'll say this now. It wasn't like I'm really mixed on it. I'm like there's certain scenes that really got to me and were actually really effective and really emotional. 
And then there was some other scenes, a lot of scenes in the pub involving the locals that I was like, I'm not buying this. I'm not buying the dialogue. I'm not buying the performances. You're taking me out of the film because of your theatricality. And okay. it was so strange that that they were quite often then... It, a scene right afterwards would then be really powerful again and really interesting and unique and, like, not it's not subtle, but... Okay, like for example, there's a bit at the beginning where someone smashes her camera, and I was like, "Oh God, I hate, I hate this. this. is horrible." Like I'm really feeling for, I feel for her so much. They they're not cheap for a start. SLRs <laughs> are not cheap, um, and this fucking guy just smashes it. I'm like, "Okay, you're making me hate him," and I and you're meant I'm meant to hate him because he's like a thug, isn't he? Like a nasty sort of racist thug. Although obviously, at the same time, you kind of understand in a strange sense that that's where he's grown up and he's got like I think that it's touched on that he's got some addiction yeah, problems yeah, yeah, yeah. and so it's confusing and like morally quite troubling to think about that but then I don't know there's just something about the dialogue which is in certain other scenes uh, the locals at the pub chatting I'm not racist but you know that kind of stuff yeah, yeah. really really stilted and really threw me off uh, what, what about you? Sorry. Yeah. No, no. Um, I think I did feel like the film wasn't particularly subtle. Mm. Um, I think you're very right on it being very much on the nose. I think we sort of said this in the context of his other two films of this sort of trilogy, uh, starting with our Daniel Blake, that subtlety doesn't really seem to be his objective anymore. No, no. And when you consider it in that lens and you consider it in the kind of topics that he's covering about the state of modern Britain, yep. uh, be that sort of unemployment, yeah. Um, I know Daniel Break. Break. I Daniel Break. Break. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sounds like a sort of racing car spin-off. <laughs> yeah. Um, or like you know the way in which companies exploit their workforce. In sorry, I missed you. Yeah. Uh, now that you know the conversation to me, uh, you know, not to me because it's very, very, very overtly laid out for you as you, as you mentioned, Ben. But it's Loach seeking to explore sort of how poverty sucks the life out of a community. Okay, yeah. Um, leaving its social and very literal architecture decrepit and devoid of the community spirit that was cultivated by the mining industry. Yes, yes. And how that, what is left, is a community that, you know, is disjointed and consumed by their own individual issues and problems. Yeah. And that has destroyed any connectivity between the people mm. and any sort of desire for collective action. Yeah, yeah. But it also leaves it as very fertile ground for, as um, old Mr. Ballantyne, the lead character in the film, uh, <laughs> points out, you know, for people to punch downwards. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that is uh, something which is easily manipulated by ruling powers. So as they sort of seek to shift the blame away from themselves uh, onto others to mm. facilitate the sort of continual use of their economic doctrines that suit only a certain tiny percentage of people. Yeah, yeah. So all of that stuff I'm completely on board with. You know, I, I do try and refrain from my sort of my political leanings on this podcast to a degree, but, but for me, yeah. that's something that I'm on board with. Oh, I've, yeah, I've been yeah. on board with the, the messages in most of Loach's films. Yeah. And the basis of, you know, um, helping people, you know, ostensibly, you know, helping people to understand that 
you know, the problems in this country are not caused by people fleeing, fleeing war and persecution. Oh, completely. Not I want to say at this point, I totally agree with you. <laughs> he's, he's lying. Uh, <laughs> no. uh, it, yeah, my, my issue with it, the film is completely in the way it's constructed. Yeah, and this is, yeah. Yeah, and I agree in the sense that, sorry, I've really gone on a long one here. But no, like, mate, no. <laughs> you, know, the, you know, what I'm trying to say is in a roundabout, really long-winded way, is that I buy the film more on that basis of the thematic intent. Yeah. So yeah, even yeah. though I felt it was incredibly overt mm. and unsubtle, I buy it on that basis. Okay, yeah. Um, but again, there were moments I thought, oof. Just the pub, the stuff in the pub with the locals, I was like, I'm really, they, they, I don't, were they actors? I think so. I, d- I wasn't, I was really unconvinced by their performances, apart from the chap who looked a bit like Mark Commode. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, yeah. You know yeah, who yeah. I mean, he was all right. But <laughs> I don't know whether it's, again, it might be something uh, upbringing based, but, I couldn't. They were just so unconvincing. It threw me off so much that the the intention, whilst the intention of the film was so pure and so like warm and lovely, uh, and it's very the message is very clear, and it's a message I completely, you know, I'm very much on board with, and I, I think that the presentation of the way that the um the immigrants, the Syrian refugees in this case and and attempting to integrate themselves into a community that is fractured already like i liked all of that stuff i thought that was really good i get on the nose but in a way that i could get behind yeah but it was the presentation of the locals that i really thought that just i was like baffled by how insincere it all Felt and um, it might just be a performance thing, and I think it might be a slight writing thing as well. Uh, in that the there was no the it was so obviously constructed <laughs> reality. It was like yeah. watching a play. Yeah. Um, and it it was just too much. Uh, there is something very theatrical, play-like yes. about it, isn't there? Yeah, 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 yeah completely. Mm. I think those sequences get stronger. And I don't mean this in terms of my levels of enjoyment, but when the sort of racism is properly unmasked and is direct. True. When voices you know, are raised, it's it, it starts to sort of like, you know, feel a little bit less like a play. Yeah, and yeah. More like a movie. Yeah, true. In those yeah. moments. Um in service of the themes that the film is trying to explore. Yeah. Uh, not in terms of overall enjoyment. But no, I, I, I take your point about that. But I wonder, you know, I, I I feel like because we've sort of said we, you know, we've noticed that obviously Loach is departing from that sort of like real sort of raw, mm. sort of almost cinema verite kitchen yeah. sink aesthetic sort of thing, mm. uh, into this sort of more drama focused stage of his career. So maybe he just doesn't give a shit. Maybe this is what he wants to do. And I think Paul Laverty, who writes the screenplay, is frequent collaborator yes. with Loach. You know, I feel like his scripts. You know, he's he's been very explicit in this film in talking about it. You know, is about not just about the the challenges and the difficulties and the horrors of everyday life, not just for uh, the locals of these sort of villages torn apart by oppressive economic doctrines. It's also about hope, trying yeah. to instill a sense of hope. Mm. And I think that's where maybe the more fanciful elements of the film um, sprout from. Yeah, that intention yeah. to maybe not be so burdened by the cynicism and, and the worthy cynicism, I guess, of, of the situation that these people are living in. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
because there's something so tragic about seeing people that are struggling um blaming yeah. and coming down even harder on people that have struggled more <laughs> yeah i mean there's a great actually there's a there is a really good scene in this which i did buy into quite a lot whereby um someone someone is ill aren't they it's a sort of girl gets ill and one of the refugees with the, the I can't remember her name. Um, lead character. Yeah, the lead character. That's not her name. <laughs> That's not her name. Yeah, lead character. <laughs> um, she takes her home, and uh, this girl says, oh, "It's usually better after I have something sweet." She starts looking through the cupboards for something sweet, and then her mum comes home, and she, she's sort of. It's very clear that she's embarrassed at how bare her. Um, her cupboards are yeah but her reaction is like quite vitriolic and quite uh she kind of kicks her out and she's a bit she's quite racist she is yeah overtly racist um and that worked for me i thought that was really effective in hammering home that sort of reactionary (laughs) nature of how they're perceiving these refugees you know Mm, what i mean yes Uh, that was a really good scene in in yeah but yeah you're absolutely right in terms of the everyday existence of those beliefs and how they bubble under the surface. Mm, yeah. And then all they need is something like in shame, embarrassment. Yeah. And they and they just it just they just comes come out, out of nowhere. Yeah, and it, yeah. it almost humanizes it. Not to the point of so obviously saying that racism should be given <laughs> yeah, any yeah. sort of but it you know, it it humanizes the origin of these these belief systems. Yeah, yeah. And I think through humanizing the origin of these things are we only going to understand the best course of action to deal with it Mm, because i think there's another moment in the film where in one of those sort of more overt pub sequences with the blokes they're all chatting away one of the characters says you know we we moan about these things and we've got some posh people in london telling us we're racist oh yeah he sort of speaks this idea that obviously there's a lot of resentment towards london (laughs) from people in the north understandably Yeah, yeah, yeah um but it's this idea that you know they, you know there are people who would just immediately write these people off on the basis of what they've said or what they claim to believe. Yeah, yeah. Without really trying to understand why they might actually believe it. Okay. And, you know, yeah. and perhaps through sort of meaningful discussion, which you know it's easy for me to say perhaps, but you know is the only way that you can really sort of try and turn these people around and get them to understand that the situation they're living in is not the fault of people that are fleeing war and persecution or someone that hasn't got a job down the street you know these problems are far more deeply rooted in the fabric of our society Mm, yeah as much as the ruling powers would have those people believe (laughs) and i guess that brings us to the to the next part of this discussion which is who are these films for yeah and what is the you know who who is seeing these films because you know, we're talking about you know the film has a very overt nod to that this idea that you know these these men are going to be judged on the basis of their ill-founded beliefs yeah um okay yeah but yet the to me you know the the, the sort of in that line of dialogue sort of <laughs> criticizing those kinds of people this film is only going to be really watched by those kinds of people right i don't yeah. know like because we were talking about this a lot weren't we and i've had many conversations with people regarding English social realism, particularly more modern examples, mm. where do they play? Yeah, you know where are these films playing? They're going to be playing in arty art house cinemas. Yeah, a lot yeah. of which are in London. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, like I saw I Daniel Blake in in the Quad in Derby. I love the Quad. It's a great cinema. 
Yeah. Um, but, you know, the people in there weren't the kind of people that were from the same housing estate that my dad lived on. Right. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, in Bristol, when I saw the old oak, most of the people, <laughs> I mean, you know, you have a quick look around. They're either like students yep. or older people that appear, you know, to have come from a background that has allowed them to engage with this kind of culture more readily yeah. and be more aware of this culture more readily. Completely, yeah. Um, and you and you went to see it. Where did you see it? I saw it at The View. Uh, and so, you know, okay. Yeah, but it, there was no one in the cinema. Mm. Oh. <laughs> um, it was me and another couple and that was it. I was a bit annoyed because I was about to clamber up because I bought a really cheap seat going to clamber up and go go on some of the better seats and then I sat down there so I was like I can't do it now um, <laughs> but yeah it's funny like um, I spent ages looking for a suitable place to watch it um, the watershed it was playing at the watershed but uh, it was like it's like the opposite way to where I go home yeah so I yeah, yeah. chose view and I kind of wish I'd chosen the watershed just because it's a much better cinema mm. um, yeah no one was there man like it was tucked away screen 10 it was just kind of like, oh, I guess this is on our release slate. They didn't even check my ticket. Like, <laughs> it was just, yeah, it was quite, and that does speak to... Broken Britain. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I imagine at the Watershed, they treated it as a sort of, like, the Ken Loach movie, right? Yeah, this is, yeah, yeah. This is an art, this is an art house event, but mm. should it be? Um, I think that's kind of the question you're asking. Yeah, I just, I just feel like, I remember debating the merits of I, Daniel Blake with our you know, with, with Jan, dear friend Jan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said something that really stuck with me. He said, the problem with these films is is that the only people that will go and see them are people that don't mind paying £8 for a small tub of Haagen-Dazs. <laughs> and ever yeah. since he said that, like, it, I'm not sure sort of how universally true it is. And obviously it's impossible for him to know and for me to know, as you know, the, back, the backgrounds of people <laughs> who yeah, watch this film yeah. and who interacted with this film. But... From my limited experience, it appeared to me in any time I've seen a Ken Loach film or a film of similar sort of political motivations or a similar sort of social awareness yeah. that the only people that watch these films are people that are either people that have a vested interest in the medium, people like us, yeah, or people that you know have had the background and the upbringing that has allowed them to engage with stuff away from what's just on Netflix. Yeah, or you know, or or the multiplex, you know. Yeah, and I feel like that's a problem if you're wanting because you're preaching to the choir, you're preaching yeah. to the converted, right? Like these people, like me and you, yeah, like you know, we already know or feel like we know, <laughs> you know, the, the the problems that are facing this country, and we know that for sure we wouldn't go out and blame an asylum seeker or an immigrant no or way. a poor person in the street so preposterous we, to me like the idea of that yeah exactly so we're, we're already on on side yep so you said it you know when we were messaging about it after we you know, had a brief discussion about our sort of initial thoughts mm. and you said just echo chamber right yes yeah yeah exactly. so w what do you do like if this film's going to have the impact surely it needs to be shown to the to the to the communities where these kind of conversations are probably more prevalent yeah yeah exactly how do you, you know is it happening i don't know it doesn't feel like it i mean i don't yeah i mean it's it all boils down to distribution and maybe this film was perhaps slightly mismarketed in the sense that it's getting marketed to to the choir uh, that have already been converted 
and now you know there's gonna be there's gonna be like I love this phrase it's a phrase I believe you coined and I've said it before there's sort of there's gonna be like a temporary moral realignment mm-hmm. of people <laughs> yeah. that that watch it in the sense that it might inspire them to oh maybe I'll I'll take on take on a a refugee family or something but then that'll melt away as they go back to their normal yes relatively privileged <laughs> hagen based lives like <laughs> and and that's all it's going to do and that's a shame because it shouldn't be that way although i, d- I have expressed some <laughs> like strong opinions about some aspects of this film the message is so solid and so clear and quite a warm message of Hey, you can do this. Like, you, 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 if the film is meant to inspire communities to stick together and eat together, right? Like, they should be played to those communities. And it's odd mm. to me that it's not. It's getting played to, yeah. People, yeah, I mean, people. if you, I don't know. Like, I just feel like the if the idea is to inspire to to sort of reignite the fires of community and togetherness and collective action, mm. um, then there has to be a farer reach in the way in which not just Ken Loach, but other yeah. people with similar political beliefs who utilise their own art form or mediums to convey their message or convey their frustration with the system. It has to sort of hit those people more. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I think, you know, we're talking about the idea of temporary moral realignments, you know, like all those people, including us, have seen our Daniel Blake. All yeah. those people, including us, have seen Sorry I Missed You. We've now all seen Ye Old Oak. Yeah, and there isn't really a sign of anything changing, the rhetoric changing, no, or a seismic shift from, you know, huge portions of these of people from this class, you know, banding together and sticking up for one another, and yeah. You know, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe it speaks to the limitations of the medium more than anything else, which is a really heartbreaking thing to say as someone that adores movies and and yeah. really subscribes to the power of movies and mm. what they can represent and what they can do. They can change the world, I think. Like, but but they have to be distributed right, I suppose. You Perhaps know. the limitations necessarily to do with the medium, but as you say, the way in which these films are sort of sold to people and, mm. and yeah. showed to people. Yeah, know? and I think that leaves. Loach himself perhaps more open to criticism from his detractors right they're going to say yeah. stuff like well it's not changing anything yeah yeah exactly but I mean it's a fucking it's bollocks anyway but, no yeah it can no it's, it's it's just you know like I do wonder about that and I think about that quite a lot mm. particularly in the con- the context of films that have these sort of you know I mean we, this is very different but we talked about it with Barbie didn't we I mean yeah, Barbie yeah, is yeah. You know, and in fact, as as time has gone on, my opinion about the element of Barbie's actually impacted my enjoyment of the film a lot more. Oh right, okay. Because yeah. I'm starting to think, well, that film to me now, I, I don't know, like it just feels more and more like, despite the fact the messages ostensibly are good in yeah. some areas, it's still a billion dollar fucking franchise that is <laughs> almost made, one and a half now. Yeah, I checked been, today. <laughs> that is made to, which is obviously going to make a company a lot of money. A yeah. company that is part of this big collection of companies and businesses that are going to uphold the way things are mm. <laughs> so i don't know i think perhaps cinema is as a capitalist enterprise yeah um you know it, it's difficult for filmmakers like loach to have the same sort of impact that maybe his earlier films did in the landscape that we operate in now i don't know yeah. mm. i just hope that perhaps these films are being screened and we're just not aware of it through our ignorance. <laughs> well, um, maybe. I mean, I think this is this isn't a solution. This is a terrible idea actually, but maybe if the film employed some more subtle techniques like 
because quite often you have films that are about something like Kez. It's about a boy um, who tr- is kind of training himself in, in the art of falconry. Yeah. Right? But really what it's about is schooling system, isn't it? Like that, there's a kind of uh, right, yeah. a, a, an undercurrent of the way the schools were structured were, was that you were sent to different schools based on your level of intelligence. Mm. Um and that was like you know that was a dreadful thing like all it did it was just like marginalized a bunch of children and provided the e- ego to another bunch of children and and that was that was what that film also was about really but it was subtle enough to deliver it in a kind of offhand like kind of you know under the table almost and maybe one of the solutions as I said, this isn't this is a bad idea because it's not going to work either. But um, <laughs> is to deliver that message like that instead, like as a kind of almost uh, more kind of deviously, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, yeah. Or maybe, maybe uh, the film, the old oak, shouldn't have ended with the plumbing going to shit, and because uh, because I guess the message of the film was if you try and feed your community uh it's gonna fuck your pub up <laughs> i don't know i i was kind of baffled by how that didn't resolve itself actually see i quite like that it didn't really yeah I, I because i mean like, if we're talking about the idea of the you know the the loach's sort of social realist credentials suffering as a result of drama yeah things ending nicely probably would have done more disservice to his to, to oh, that right. you know what I mean like, I see I completely see where you're coming from you yeah. know like it feels like you know the, the battle isn't won you know like no. these people have come together and done something really wonderful but there are still a lot of people who are blinded by hate mm. blinded by the, the, the sort of this sort of tribal instinct to protect what they feel is theirs yeah, that yeah. they are going to do horrible things yeah in order to preserve those things so I think you know, obviously there is a tone of hope in the film, but I think it has to be anchored in some sense of realism that these problems still exist and will continue to exist. Yeah, I, I think actually I one scene that really struck me and was really lovely um, in a quite tragic sense in the um, spoilers uh, there from the families, their father has been killed in prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is when the community really bands together and really shows a kind of genuine love for mm. this family who have uh, in an off like in a kind of subtle way changed their lives by feeding them that that was lovely and that moved me nearly to tears yeah um that that was a really powerful sort of moment in in the film which as i said by and large i had quite mixed feelings about but i thought the sort of stilted nature of some of the dialogue early on set me up for a hopeful ending because none of it felt real anyway. Uh, <laughs> Do you know okay. what I mean? Yeah, I kind yeah, of felt yeah, like, yeah, oh, why didn't they show a scene of the some guy from the community coming around and be like, oh, fix your plumbing for free. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And then he does it and then he, everyone comes back. And <laughs> I yeah, don't know. I was, ex- I was genuinely expecting an ending like that. Yeah. And when I got, what I received was a really touching, but to me, uh, an incomplete story. Yeah. Okay. There you go. I think it also like is is it is it just something that's like should be leveled at you know Loach like you know the landscape of film is so different now mm. um and it's harder now more than ever to get 
a movie that isn't a superhero film yeah seen. to be seen by more than just the people who do like to pay seven pounds for a tub of hagen dazs yeah, yeah. or wear like an open scarf <laughs> even though it's july <laughs> yeah you know like we lament these people but you know it's these people are the ones that are going and watching the small independent movies like mm. Yeah, I don't know, right. like, the landscape of film is so different now, and I don't know how yeah. much we can really level at... Not that we would anyway at Kent, because I'm not saying it's Lynch's fault. No, no, no. Imagination. Yeah. It is definitely sort if of... If it was up to him, everyone would watch it. Yeah, right? yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. It is obviously, like, a cultural issue. And it's a, probably a cultural issue that's enforced by the same powers that the film is sort of critical of, really. Mm. Um but yeah, the landscape feels so different. I mean, you know, Scorsese's been saying this loads, isn't he, about how tough it is for filmmakers to even get their ideas off the ground. Yeah, yeah. And how the use of the term independent has almost like pigeonholed filmmakers into this sort of bind that they can't break out of. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I think that the landscape is making it harder and harder than it's ever been for independent voices. Yeah. or voices that have you know intentions to explore the problems in, in the worlds they inhabit yeah. to be seen on a larger scale than ever yeah i think you know the, yeah the, you're right the landscape is so different it is it's a like a, a paradox <laughs> almost i don't really know i don't have a solution at all um and I guess, you know, I, 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 if it is his last film, as an expression of an ideal, it works beautifully. Like, it's a, it's a wonderful... I think manifesto is probably the wrong word, but do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But as a piece of filmmaking, it fell short of my kind of expectations a little mm. bit. And I've, I've, I'm left baffled and very, I'm very mixed on it. I, I would sort of, I would recommend it. Yeah. in a sense but be ready to you know sit through some pretty questionable dialogue and some it's never boring that's another thing there's another there's a couple of other th- sort of th- personal threads not personal to Loach but personal to the main character um the Ballantine which is re- which are again really interesting and done un- kind of quite understated very basically done like it's all sort of tripod it's all Tripod setups, <laughs> mm, yeah. uh, but you know it's a social realist film. So what what do you expect, really? Um, but yeah, like like I say, as an expression of an ideal, really works. Um, but I just think it could have could do with uh, maybe a couple of rewrites, maybe. <laughs> okay. Which which I I feel a bit bad saying um, because it, it, I shouldn't. Maybe I shouldn't feel bad, but I I do weird weirdly I do feel bad because it's like I'm criticizing something that uh, I share a lot of values with. So yeah, it makes me slightly uncomfortable even saying that. But <laughs> there we go. Yeah. No, I can understand that. I mean, I wasn't as bothered by those elements, um, but I I definitely feel that yeah, the, the script in the last three films, particularly I Daniel Blake and this one, is it's it's it has. Yeah, subtlety is not is not the is not the consideration here. No, no. Uh, and I think in some ways, I feel that that's more merited given yeah. the sort of intent. Hmm. Uh, there's a bit at the end where she puts a camera next to all the flowers yeah. for her dad. Do you reckon she picks it up again? Because <laughs> I imagine probably. Yeah. Okay. Because that was another thing I thought was a bit odd. 
I was like, are you going to give up photography? I liked that about you. And also, like I said, that's expensive. <laughs> like, I, I, again, like it's weird because like, as an expression, it's a really nice thing to do. And it's like, oh, you're kind of giving back what was given to you. But like on a, on a practical level, what are you doing? Pick it up. It might yeah. rain. That's true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the film jumps quite far ahead in time after that moment, so it's difficult to know if she ever did. Yeah, no. There's a final shot of them walking down the road uh, in solidarity, which is very I nice. I love that banner they make as well. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's so cool. Um, I mean, like the line as well it's not charity, it's solidarity. Yeah, and yeah. That's a really, again, on the nose, but it's, it, it's a line. That, that works. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like I think that. it's. Those who eat together stick together. That's another yeah. nice thing. It's like a fusion of like you know the, the sort of principles of the mining movement of the 1980s with mm. you know Syrian culture. The idea yeah. of eating together and celebrating family. I think you know if you if you think about you know English community in the way and then comparing it to others, we're tremendously isolated. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I don't really know my neighbor. I mean, I've not lived in my area very long, but I don't know my neighbors well enough just to invite them over for like a curry. Yeah, no, and I probably wouldn't necessarily either. We've we've started with our we've moved quite recently. We've started a WhatsApp group with like one other once this other couple that live next door, um, and I've been building up the courage to ask them round for like maybe a, they're listening now. They might be. Hey, yeah, Alex, yeah, yeah. Um, in the bath. Come, do you want to come round for a beer? <laughs> like, yeah, like yeah. I really want to ask you, but uh, for some reason the so- social my kind of social. Uh, anxiety prevents me from doing so uh which which is stupid yeah <laughs> but uh, yeah come round have a have a bloody samosa or a, and a and a and a peroni <laughs> and a hagendas and a hagendas <laughs> and we'll watch yeah yeah <laughs> no it's interesting i think you know just quickly before we go for the outro it feels like that's like again maybe like a uh, sort of like a shockwave impact thing from the sort of smashing of the unions and sort of Thatcherite Britain. Yeah, you know, yeah. the idea of community have you know we have to destroy the idea of community because yes. if, if people are together still, they can sort of push back. Yeah, yeah. But if as we a can collective, if, if yeah. we can isolate them and 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 you know, and they just think about themselves and the immediate others, mm. you know, that allows for you know. Uh, a landscape that we can manipulate with greater ease. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, Agreed. Yeah, uh, really, which is horribly sad. You know, like, it's so socially awkward and odd as I am, I would love the idea of our communities, having communities... I'm sure everyone else on this road feels the same. Yeah. <laughs> but it's weirdly unspoken. Like, we kind of get... Maybe it's something to do with, yeah, our kind of social upbringing in that it's like, you'd rather not... <laughs> Because, what if it goes wrong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's just stupid. Like you know, and actually, it's funny when I was growing up uh, uh, in I was this little place called Southborough. Our road were really tight, really close. We used to go camping together and stuff. Wow, yeah. And that that was really special. I always thought like if I were to have children, I'd want the same for them. So yeah. I better get on that WhatsApp group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Get the peronies out. Yeah, Dig yeah. out the samosas from the freezer. Absolutely. Yeah, I had yeah. something similar. I lived in a cul-de-sac in Derby and all the parents knew each other. Yeah. Um, so, so special about Yeah, that. there's something yeah. really nice. You yeah. could always, you could almost just sort of like walk into each other's houses as kids and the oh, parents right, would be yeah. like, you're right. Yeah, it wouldn't yeah, be a problem. Yeah. You know? No, not at all. Have you got some? Have you got some tea bags? Have you got some butter or whatever? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, some peroni. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it'd be lovely to see that come back. And yeah. if anything, even if the film doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily seen by 
everybody and the, most importantly the people need to see i think the messages are still important yeah and if oh, they yeah. can inspire people to keep thinking about these things and i guess that is an achievement in some way yeah yeah um no agreed yeah messages whole and and out out there for everyone to see and like yeah it is an important one as well so yeah agreed nice outro outro questing the cinematic void there we have it there we have it there we have it yeah uh really good to talk about that yeah um a very sprawling broad discussion it's hard to keep the reins on a discussion like that i think because there's so many different angles yeah there's a lot of offshoots uh, to social realism and so so. many temptations to really sort of get into the sort of political side of things which is always (laughs) frisky isn't it um next week Mm. we're gonna move as far away from social realism as is humanly possible absolutely into the realms of sci-fi yes with gareth edwards as as, 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 as the creator (laughs) yep outro thoughts which has become a little bit of a thing Mm, Uh, yeah i think it looks hopelessly derivative (laughs) and largely quite naff however i will try and uh beat those thoughts off (laughs) out of me uh before i watch the film because i really want to give it my best yeah yeah i um I think it's, you said to me a couple of days ago, or last podcast recording, you said like it looked like a Neil Blomkamp film. Yeah, it looked like District Nine, uh, but uh, like you say, derivative version of that, without any of the social <laughs> consciousness. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that I actually was weirdly looking forward to the creator before that because I thought the trailer looked really. There was a lot of explosions in the trailer. I thought, like, oh, the way they did those explosions was quite good. And it turned out they used a bit of footage from you remember that. The explosion in Beirut that um really uh, yeah yeah they used Ooh. some uh, not I know shaky mor- moral sh- morally shaky ground there fucking hell I didn't know that yeah apparently it's not in the film but uh as a way of marketing a film what what are you doing <laughs> like that's a bit insensitive yeah not so. good yeah um so yeah I'm I'm curious about this one it's it's an odd one uh that I don't understand how funding was acquired for it <laughs> But, no, yeah. he's, he's he's a curious filmmaker, Gareth. We've talked about this before. I mean, obviously, he you know he, his monster wasn't it was his was his debut. Yes, yes. Which is yeah, you know, I quite liked monsters. Uh, I monsters. Think. Oh yeah. God, embarrassing. <laughs> monsters, the Patty Jenkins film. <laughs> Charlize Theron. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then he sort of had a bit of a weird patchy career. I mean, he, you know, Godzilla. Yeah, which wasn't really crap. It was just pretty forgettable. Yeah, uh, I saw that with you actually. Yeah, the Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my birthday. I yeah, think. yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and Rogue One, Rogue One, which I quite like actually. I thought it was commendable effort. Yeah. Bit, I thought the humor was really shit in it. Yeah, but apart from that, like as a Star Wars movie and as a kind of war epic, it did work. Quite, yeah, and I just like ways. Star Wars films that piss off the Star Wars fan base. That's probably yeah. part of the reason I like it. Anything else? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, an interesting filmmaker. We'll dig deep more into that, mm. and obviously we'll we'll talk about the film. We'll talk about some of our favourite sci-fi films. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a genre we haven't really discussed the Cineboys to Cinnamon, funnily enough. Not really. Not no, in great no. detail. No, I'm sure we've touched on a few, but um, yeah, nothing overt. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that one. Lovely. In the meantime, enjoy this one. Mm. (laughs) And uh, we'll be in your ears soon. Yeah, see you then. Love you lots. Bye-bye. Bye.